0: Have you been zombified by the apocalypse or thoughts about the apocalypse or fear oh, yeah. that the apocalypse is going to happen?
1: Yeah, definitely. So a, a lot, actually. I think maybe, I don't know if it's too much or just the right amount. We'll see.
0: Yeah. So, how well, about you? I, um, I have been zombified by contemplating how – apocalyptic our species is like are we actually built for dealing with the apocalypse or not
1: mm, that's what we so, talk about today all right so who are we talking to today
0: welcome to the zombified <laughs> oh, <yeah>. podcast <laughs> your source for fresh brains i'm your host athena Actipus, psychology professor at asu and chair of the zombie apocalypse medicine alliance
1: and i am your co-host Dave Lindbergh kenrick Media Outreach Program Manager at ASU, and Brain Enthusiast.
0: And Apocalypse Enthusiast.
1: That's right, and Fear of the Apocalypse (laughs) Enthusiast.
0: I'm kind of actually into the apocalypse.
1: Oh, you're like ready for it.
0: I don't know how I'm ready for it, but it's fun to think about it even though it's also terrifying.
1: That's true. Actually, now that I think about it, now that I'm thinking about the upside... Think it could be kind of fun. So.
0: <laughs> and this episode is really about to what extent have we as humans experienced apocalyptic conditions during our evolutionary history?
1: Ooh, so so what counts as an apocalyptic condition?
0: You're gonna have to listen All
1: right. to find out. Who are we talking to today?
0: Today we are talking to Mike Gervin, who mm. is an anthropologist who studies, among other things, cooperation. And the apocalypse. Ooh. So we have a lot to talk about, Mike and I. All right.
1: And what's your what's your favorite part?
0: My favorite part of this episode is when Mike explains how he used uh, math in order to figure out how often humans encountered the apocalypse in our evolutionary history.
1: Cool. So that's always always the first thing I think of with the apocalypse is math. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> so let's hear from this week's Fresh Brain, Mike Girvin.
1: I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. Try to fight it, but it's something psychological with you. Makes me act the way I do. I'm not trying to be over-analytical. Retracing time to remind myself how ugly this could be. But
2: something else is taking over me. Oh. Part you know, training for the, the zombie apocalypse, right? You well, gotta you need at least like it's, yeah, it's 18, 20,000 steps a day to outrun, be in good enough shape to outrun... Is that so? The zombies, yeah.
0: yeah. I, don't, I actually don't know how many steps would allow you to get away well, from
2: 17,000. Okay. You know, no heart disease. Okay. At least according to the the bad media portrayal of some of the heart disease work. I see, were. I see. So I like, see. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> but I think zombies is harder to fight than heart disease. so. Well, I guess
0: it's an open question, though, right? Well, I mean, have the empirical studies been done actually well, to see if... More research Zombies is needed. are harder to fight than heart disease.
2: That's yeah. There hasn't they haven't been pitted against each That's other in, in a, a in a direct. Um, yeah, you need like a way.
0: randomized control trial really to.
2: Although apparently you can't. Did you see this this paper that just came out? Uh, you know, if you any type of randomized trial, whether it's for like blood pressure medication or you know this type of schooling that type of schooling or anything, people are like yeah that. Choice A sounds pretty good. It seems reasonable. Choice B, that seems pretty good. But the idea of like splitting up population, a sample, Mm -hmm. and testing A or testing B, people don't like that. People don't like that. Yeah, across like thousands of people, lots of conditions, people don't like the idea of being experimented on and forced to be randomized into one condition or the other, even though they have no problem with either of those conditions.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, it is
2: interesting. Just people don't want to be guinea pigs, I guess. Um, Yeah, well,
0: every time you pick up your phone and you're on your social media, like, I mean, those ads, like, a lot of them are A, B designs, right? With, like, some people getting one and other people getting the other. So we're being experimented on all the time.
2: Exactly. I know. Uh, But... Maybe it's just the idea of knowing, right? If, mm-hmm. if all you knew is that you were put in one condition but didn't know that there's other people out there mm-hmm. getting potentially a placebo or getting a different yeah. trial, somehow it seems people think it's a little bit unethical, uh, which is weird. Yeah. So heart disease zombies you know, yeah. might have to wait a little bit uh, <laughs> or, or IRB approval might, might, be, <laughs> there might be take a, a while. I
0: mean, in general, getting IRB approval for anything involving zombies is apparently hard. Because I would think they'd be exempt of whether they can give consent or not.
2: Mm. Well, certainly doing experiments on zombies is probably okay because they're undead, right? I don't can't, know. but if What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> right, they're already undead. But
0: how, I mean, you have to show that it could potentially benefit them or at least not harm them. Hmm. I don't know. It these are, I think, important questions. It, we and we should actually get them out of the way now, before the zombie apocalypse, uh, right? Because like when the zombie apocalypse comes, we need to be able to do research on the zombies. And if we haven't worked out the IRB, it could be months before we have the approval <laughs> to actually, you know, do the studies. So, huh? Yeah.
2: So do you, do you think there really is a way to prepare for a zombie apocalypse?
0: I think that we at least can start having some conversations about it. And actually that's why you're here. That's why, well, I'm here that's to why help, we're here today. Help prepare, But is it, it's yeah. probably one of those things
2: like the tragedy of the commons, you know, that there's no technical solution. You know, it's, it's our own failings that will, isn't that the thing? Every zombie movie, you, yeah. you, it's I mean, our I think own. We need
0: like process. We need to have like systems and processes and like, you know, how we would do science in the zombie apocalypse, how we would help each other. Like, You know, we don't know what kind of catastrophe might befall us, but there are, you know, processes that if we have them in place could help us dynamically deal with. Mm. That's at least what I, what I think. But maybe before we jump in, could you introduce yourself in your own words? Because we're just like off and Uh, running. (laughs) Well, I I,
2: I noticed this little little creature here in in front of us. Yeah, Uh,
0: it's a field recorder. Okay, good. So, So yeah, we're here in your office.
2: Yeah, we're here in my office. Uh so I my name is Michael Gervin. I'm a professor of anthropology here at University of California, Santa Barbara.
0: And you work on small scale societies and health. And can you give like a little one minute? Yeah. On minute of your interests and what you what you yeah. study.
2: Well, I guess on one respect, I share a similarity with you that a, a weird a weirdo that. Yeah, Does lots like of things
0: interdisciplinary person,
2: but you 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 do a, <laughs> you have a nice way of meshing them together, uh, you know. Cooperation pervades all from mm-hmm. from zombies, cancer,
0: humans, even generosity, <laughs> disaster, <laughs>
2: everything. Yeah, uh, right. So, yeah. So I've been working two decades with small scale populations, hunter gatherers, horticulturalists, and you know, on a variety of things. But but like you, I've been very interested in cooperation, how people deal with. Kind of collective concerns, mm-hmm. uh, especially just how they manage their own risks and how do they uh, ensure good health when you don't have health insurance, you don't have life insurance, you don't have supermarkets to store food. Um, so, how do you do with, with deal with the day to day ebbs and flows of, of good fortune and bad fortune? And so, yeah, that's been kind of an ongoing theme mm-hmm. for a lot of my work. And then I do think it blended nicely then with thinking about health more broadly, mm-hmm. uh, and because certainly part of our cooperation is what on many many levels, uh, from day to day to like those types of insurance policies we have in other people's bellies and brains, uh, that that. You know, helps weather us through lots of bad mm. times. Yeah,
0: can you explain that a little bit more? Oh. Like, how do they like? How do the insurance policies that we have in other people's brains? I love already. Like, we're talking <laughs> about brains. Um, like how how do we you know insure ourselves against the things that are like uncontrollable, like through those relationships and through right. through brains especially.
2: Yeah, and without me just reminding you of all the debt. You know, all the all the good things I've done for you. Actually, yeah, that's why I'm a terrible per. I'm a great person, actually, to <laughs> to like to, to buy you lunch because I never remember I've done that. Uh, uh-huh. And then, you know, the next time we go out, I'll be like, oh, let me get it this time. And then I'll do it again uh-huh. and again. And it's like complete sustained one way flow. But uh-huh. I don't think it's that way. But you might know that that way. So you, you win, we win.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm all about need-based transfer, so <laughs> That's right. you know, I also, yeah. it's like, why why keep track if ultimately we're fitness interdependent? Like, if mm-hmm. we rely on each other, the zombie apocalypse comes, and, you know, and you're alive, I'm probably a lot more likely to survive. Same if, like, the zombie apocalypse comes, yeah, you know, maybe I could help you out with something. It's much better to have a bigger team in the zombie apocalypse. That's right. So,
2: well, and and definitely when the apocalypse comes you want to be able to distinguish your fair weather friends versus the ones who are going to yeah
0: who actually reciprocate just
2: because they know others are watching or whatever yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and so yeah
0: how do you find those people who actually have a true like intrinsic valuation for like your life and well-being
2: oh that's well if you had the answer to that you know you you You'd be paying people to do this podcast for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that's the big, that's the big question. Isn't that why, uh, who was it? Maimonides? Wasn't it like the highest form of giving? Uh, was to give anonymously, right? Where you essentially are stripping away any of the potential obvious benefits, reputation, status, reciprocation that you could ever get from helping anybody uh but if you have secret cameras and you those are the kinds of people <laughs> you'd be like you know that's who you want to defend your life yeah uh, but
0: then you have this like weird situation where then the only way you can really signal that you're truly really genuinely cooperative is mm. to take all of those things away that could possibly yeah. signal it so then you're like well like what
2: is that yeah. what's left what's yeah. left well <laughs> but yeah I, I mean i guess that's the thing right isn't you know Lots of studies seem to show if you vary conditions a lot, you know, people's behavior changes. But that there's some folks who are sort of stingy and nasty no matter what. Some people who are kind of awesome no matter what. And then everyone else in between that is very flexible, attuned to who's watching and the costs and the benefits. And so I guess the idea that if you try to get some of those people who are going to be out there sort of consistently on your side – yeah. uh but yeah that's uh
0: yeah I think there's also another piece of it which is like you know just because like you know reputation might be part of it that doesn't mean that there aren't other components right And so I feel like there's sort of this tendency that people have in like the cooperation mm-hmm. studies world where it's like oh there was some element of reputation or some possibility they might get paid back and therefore there was no like, intrinsic value that the person had for the other person, just because there's the possibility of that. Mm -hmm. But it seems like for any instance of giving or resource transfer, there could be multiple reasons. Like you could be doing it because you see that they're in need and you think maybe they'll pay you back, Mm -hmm. but it's okay if they don't. Right. And so I think like the, this idea that any instance of a resource transfer has like one explanation. And once you pin it to something that could be counted as like mm-hmm. a, you know, payback or reciprocity, then mm-hmm. it's almost like nobody's searching for any other explanation. Right.
2: Well, what do you think it? about then the, this idea though, that if you, if you peel back the layers by, by stripping away this incentive and that incentive and that incentive, that that sort of at the, at the heart of the center of that onion, I'm getting your, Inherent, intrinsic, uh, other regarding you know kind of preference. Do you think there's anything there? There's a there there. Once you've stripped away all those incentives, or or are the incentives just really key? I and mean, some of the incentives are always there.
0: I think it's. I think that it's hard to strip everything because, like, we evolved in a world where there. You know, it was just part of an act of, like, helping that there would be, mm-hmm. you know, the possibility that it would become part of your reputation in one way or another. So, um, so I think it's hard to, like, experimentally, yeah. like, take all of that away. And, and clearly, like, you know, experiment show people respond to, like, the anonymity. They respond to, like, whether yeah. people can see what they have or mm-hmm. not. And, and these things affect their Behavior. So I think, you know, we are very attuned to the reputational mm-hmm. things, but that I think there is a there there. And especially like if you look at, you know, how do people behave in really challenging situations, you know, like after disasters, mm-hmm. you know, maybe how they would behave in the, you know, an apocalypse, a zombie apocalypse, like when your fitness is really just interdependent with someone else right and you know your ability to survive is actually dependent on someone else's welfare also then you do get this sort of you know intrinsic valuation that i think like is is rooted in this kind of fitness interdependence so like Mm -hmm. i think there is a there there of like you're intrinsically valuing somebody else's welfare um at least emotionally now you know evolutionarily, that might be because it's just better to have more people around who can help you if you need it. But mm-hmm. I think the way it feels emotionally is just like you really care about someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally right. legitimate.
2: Exactly, right. Yeah. And, and it is a nice shortcut. I mean, I think, uh, you know, now it's, it's been some years, but, you know, way back when, you know, trying to bring some of these economic experiments to, you know, field context. And, you know, I think everyone sort of a priori, you know, hunch about things was, oh, you know, hunter-gatherers, these small-scale societies, are they're, they're, they're sharing food all the time, Every uh, there's not very many possessions, and everything's out in the open, and so the general expectation is that, well, you know, if Americans and Europeans, you know, are giving away half the steaks and some of these kind of the pie of these Mm. games and, you know, and they get all angry and punish if, you know, they receive the short end of a stick uh, that we would see the same thing, if not even more generosity and punishment in in these kinds of small scale societies. And, and I think it was very telling that if anything, well, first of all, the results were all over the map, uh, but if anything, they tended towards actually less generosity, Mm. uh, less willingness to punish uh, especially in third party punishment it's like almost as as none of it right yeah. and 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 I think this is really important because you know if it's all just like this doesn't matter the context but this abstract notion of you know giving to others and you know and framed in this particular kind of way should you should expect to get more of it but this notion of like fitness interdependence
0: yeah
2: is really critical and I think uh, first of all if you if your fitness is interdependent with lots of other people, that you potentially are interacting with in these game situation, then if I defect on one little particular game, which is already a bit weird in the first mm-hmm. place, uh, first of all, people were stingy to other people. And it wasn't like, oh, because it's, you know, w- why? You know, they mm-hmm. didn't understand it. And like No, well, you know, that's what they would do if they were in that first player role. Mm-hmm. And it w- they wanted to be paid publicly in front of everyone else. So it wasn't, you know, that people knew who they were. Uh, so the reputation, people weren't worried that their, their reputations were going to be yeah, uh, damaged because yeah. they weren't, they didn't think that their behavior in this game was going to somehow automatically put mm-hmm. them with a, a scarlet defector, mm-hmm. you know, label. So
0: it implies that we're like kind of bringing our, some of our cultural baggage right, right yeah. to these ideas about what is cooperation and what is Mm -hmm. a good reputation as a cooperator as a punisher exactly yeah
2: yeah yeah Yeah. and this and one of the big things i kind of took away from some of those things which is just the whole concept of being anonymously paired with a stranger even if you know it's someone in this room but the way that we have this knee-jerk response to potentially be not hostile maybe not altruistic but at least tolerant of some stranger before until you get new information versus the idea that a stranger is just already like not in my world. Fitness independence is potentially zero. Right, right. uh, And my history of past interactions might be fairly exploitative. So I don't even want to entertain that possibility. There's a chance I might get screwed over. And so, yeah, this is how you get cooperative people acting fairly uncooperative in some of these experimental Mm -hmm. situations. But
0: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. um, can I ask you about the apocalypse? Uh, (laughs) Uh, That's why I'm here. Yeah, so Uh, you gave this talk uh, like I don't know, it was about six months ago at ASU, something Mm -hmm, like that, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. where you talked about like what we can tell from looking um, at kind of the history of small scale societies in terms of like the like decimation of populations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and. I was so intrigued by like what this potentially means. So like I don't maybe you could give like a just like a brief overview of yeah. like what that those findings were like how you sort of figured out that like in human evolutionary history there've been essentially like these catastrophic mm-hmm. things that have happened fairly regularly. Right,
2: right. Uh, yes, thank you for coming to that talk. I, I, <laughs> it was I remember so good, yeah. and I remember I remember your question because uh, I saw that twinkle I knew you were thinking about zombies <laughs> so, when, when that came up uh, But yeah so um, basically you know the, the 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 research was just kind of asking you know our, our best kind of hint of what life might have been like right is you know looking in our contemporary, uh, populations that live, you know, more hunting and gathering lifestyles, small scale subsistence and whatnot. And, and yet, when you look at all those populations, they're all doing fairly well in terms of their the just births and deaths. Mm-hmm. you know they're all in positive right. growth.
0: Well, and just like a little bit of context, like these small scale societies, they're our best guess for what human history looked like for like a long time, right? Like right. For
2: yeah, you know, how and it,
0: many thousands of years going back? Like, is that a good model for?
2: Yeah, human exactly. Societies? Yeah, for, you know, depending on the question. Yeah. But yeah, and, and again, all like the usual caveats. These folks yeah. are not living fossils and blah, blah, blah. But like, they're, but it's sometimes the best evidence that we have to, to at least, you know, think about some of these questions about life ways and and like
0: since the emergence of homo sapiens kind of right yeah what are we how many thousand years are we talking oh
2: well i mean some it depends on the question right but Uh you know if you want to say modern you know humans you know hundred fifty thousand years ago uh if you say well it's certain technology and unless Uh we want evidence of you know, yeah. art and other things. And, you know, maybe still, you know, 50 to 100,000 years ago, but yeah. plenty of time.
0: Right. So they can be this models, this sort of, you know, at least we can gather from looking if we look at enough of them and kind of look for patterns, what life probably was like for human ancestors for a long time right. and therefore like long enough to potentially also mm-hmm. have affected our evolution.
2: Right. And, you yeah. know, and we recognize, of course, that, you know, if you're still hunting and gathering in the 20th century. 21st century then you know maybe you're actually living in the somewhat kind of marginalized area that yeah. isn't great for farming and so if that's the case and yet population growth rates are still really high in those populations then maybe even in the past times could have been even better yeah so it's, it's a it's an open question yeah. but but what we do know of course that if you took the observed population growth rates today mm-hmm. uh, and
0: can you maybe just break down what a population yeah. growth rate is how you oh get that? yeah
2: sure. So basically, you know, anything that increases the population, so births, migrants, you know, yeah. anything coming in is increasing the size of a population okay. and deaths and out-migrants is, you know, decreasing the population. Okay. So if we ignore migration for the moment and just say when there's more births than deaths, you know, a population's growing. Okay. And so if you're it's growing like for
0: a particular small-scale society, how many babies are being born, what ages are people dying and like is the population growing? Overall, or right. decreasing
2: overall. Right. Yeah. And something like we often, it's hard to think about the meaning of numbers, but like, say I say 3%, it's like, that's a tiny number, right? But if a population was growing at 3%, and it's like what is it?
0: Uh,
2: twenty years? something like twenty years. Every twenty years, that population would double in size, regardless wow. of its base population. So
0: even shorter than a generation, you've right. got a doubled population. Right. So
2: it's exactly. So so yeah. that's why I even have it's like a homework assignment in one of my classes that. Uh, one of the populations I've been working with for a while, uh, the Chimane in Bolivia, the average woman has nine births over her lifetime, wow. and the mortality rates, you know, have been have been declining a little bit. So the what, growth rate, the
0: mortality rates.
2: Well, so the life expectancy at birth was probably in the low forties up okay. until, like, say, the you know early nineteen nineties, and now it's probably in the fifties. Okay, um, but. Uh, and that's an average life expectancy. Mm-hmm. But when you take all that into account, uh, the population growth rate is 3.8, almost 4%. So mm-hmm. like, And it's almost like every time I publish a new paper on the chimane, I have to revise the estimate of the population size because it's just growing and growing. Right. And at that rate, you know, the homework problems, like at what rate will we all be chimane, like in the world? <laughs> and, and it's actually not that, you know, far along. And that, that's why, like, these small numbers, it seems fairly, you know,
0: they, insignificant yeah, rate but that might be small but you get the compound interest exactly in that fact, right? exactly
2: exactly yeah. and so basically the basic question was like all right all these small scale societies and everything we know about humans that uh you know that we that we pat ourselves on the back that you know we have all this cooperation multi-level uh, across uh and within generations and mm-hmm. that you know, maybe even you know, having older generations that are kind of there to you know tell stories and and socialize yeah. children, let alone just you know babysitting and taking care of uh, a wide range of needs and and training and skills uh, investment and all that stuff. Um, all of this is in the context of you know living populations today, and so if all those things existed in the past, how is it possible that all these populations are growing really rapidly, but they could not have possibly been growing that rapidly in the past on average over long stretches of time because, you know, there were it, either there was a massive like, you know, zombie apocalypse, you know, uh-huh. genera- many, 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 yeah. many generations ago, uh, or it just doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, and so there must have been zero population growth over most of our species history on average yeah. over long stretches of time. And, of course, that means, yeah, you can get long-term z- zero population growth if there's just lots of ups and downs yeah. and booms and busts. And so basically just to, to – because now I think your listeners are sleeping uh, – <laughs> they, they – they, they um. Uh,
0: but that, but so the idea is like you've got, you know, a lot of human history, there was a yeah. fairly stable population yeah. size, we think.
2: Yeah, and so if yeah. you say, Well, what what would have to change to make yeah modern populations today have zero population growth. And so, you know, partly it was a modeling exercise. Like, well, okay, if you take the observed fertility, on average, hunter-gatherers tend to have about six kids.
0: Okay. So
2: how few kids would they have to have? How many fewer kids would they have to have to get zero population growth? And it turns out if you just altered fertility, you'd have to have so few kids that that's fewer kids than we've ever observed in even in natural fertility populations of hunter-gatherers, uh-huh. uh, except where we know there's like sexually transmitted uh, base, like secondary infer- infertility and things like that. Mm. Uh, and, and similarly, if you go the other side, well, let's hold fertility constant and you just had to increase mortality. Well, then you'd have higher mortality than we've ever observed in any contemporary population, even living yeah. under... Not just like last twenty years, but living under, you know, fairly, you know, hmm. pre contact so conditions.
0: So if we kind of frame this in terms of like um like a you know Super um, top down, like, you know, regulation yeah, of, yeah. of like a population size. There are two ways you can get that, right? Yeah. One is with like controlling fertility, exactly. right? You can only have two kids. Yeah. And the other is with like a Logan's Run kind of solution, <laughs> right? Where it's like, all right, you're.
2: I would have said good. hard target. Uh, <laughs> how does it feel to be haunted? Do you remember that? John Wu? No. John Claude Van Damme? Know. Uh,
0: but, yeah, so you need to either have like a really high yes. rate of death or like you know um you know early death or you need to have some control, right, of, right. The, of the population, the, the growth side. So so your question is kind of, you know, given that we know that human population size was stable for a mm-hmm. long time, like, you know, is it a, like, top-down China, one world, ki- or one baby kind of situation, mm-hmm. or like a Logan's run, you're 30 and you're dead kind of situation? Right, and
2: and the, now to <laughs> cut right to the chase. Okay. You know, what, what right. seemed most plausible, because then an, an alternative is like, well that's just on average you're just yeah. changing mean fertility or mean mortality okay. but what if you just all of a sudden what if you just kind of you know threw an asteroid you know at people and just like massive catastrophe uh and basically if you so all like, you did there's I'm, another
0: possibility yeah there's another possibility, possibility
2: complete annihilation <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and, yeah. And, and and being biased too like because yeah. You'd think there shouldn't just be annihilation. Occasionally, there should be like big bonanzas too. Yeah. Okay. Right. But so, so I, I was like, being like, nah, no bonanzas. Because is a okay. zombie apocalypse ever good? Like, what what's the positive yeah, version of a zombie apocalypse? Ever... Like, like something right. he- heavenly? Like angels come and and. Yeah. I mean, uh, like and they it, some sort of windfall. chocolate or... cookies. Like just chocolate oh, cookies show up yeah, at your doorstep probably. all like, over the world. Well, it's like
0: Christmas or oh, hol- yeah, any okay, holiday, yeah, yeah. like where you know there's like uh, some sort of special entity <laughs> comes down and showers you with, mm-hmm, with gifts, right? Mm-hmm. Winter holidays, right? Winter holidays, are the opposite of the zombie apocalypse,
2: right? So well, so it turns anyway, out, sort of yeah, back sorry, to the you know, z- yeah, so, yeah. So it turns out if you just have the the bad apocalypse, not the good one. Okay. Uh, it would have you'd have to have an apocalypse like almost every like 10 years, 5 years uh and they'd have to be pretty severe oh, in severe. order to bring well like wiping out maybe like a third of the population Seriously? Yeah, in every order, 10 years? yeah in order yeah in order to and so, yeah, in order to get zero population growth, and what the thing that's nice about that is like...
0: Wait, this is so dark. You just said the thing that's nice about
2: that. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, look, I a, just watched you give a, a three-hour talk on cancer yesterday while smiling the entire time, which is an amazing ability, by the way. I can't, like, walk and chew gum at the same time, yet you can walk, talk, and smile at the same time. Uh, I've never seen it before. Yeah. Um,
0: Okay, so the, you were going to say a yeah. good thing it would about have to happen
2: all the, the time. Yeah. And so basically the most feasible thing, because ne- in all these populations in living memory, people can tell you, you know, was there an apocalypse in the last 10 years, 15 yeah. years, 20 years, yeah. 50, 100 years, okay. you know, in living memory yeah. of, you know, the oldest people... Uh, And that doesn't seem to be the case. There was no asteroid. There was no zombie apocalypse. I mean, there were little epidemics here and there Uh and things, but nothing that looks at all like that. And so basically, the only way to really get zero population growth that seems the most reasonable is basically a combination. If fertility were a little bit lower, if mortality were a little Uh bit higher, and then you could have a more feasible kind of uh, apocalypse kind of schedule that, that was hitting people. Uh, but basically but the, the the take home that you I think maybe might like because you're morbid is <laughs> you can't get it without some apocalypses uh-huh. so that you know some degree of fairly intense apocalypses would have been a routine so what's your aspect
0: like? Oh, yeah. like how like from my
2: time machine Yeah. Uh-huh. Well,
0: and here i'm just asking you to like yeah. speculate what you think is the most likely scenario of like how often how severe like right one potential combination of like severity and time frame
2: right yeah so now you're asking me to actually remember my own findings um <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you can just give an estimate right yeah.
2: right yeah well you your your, your your seven archaeologists in the audience uh, will probably be like, well, duh, of course, catastrophes <laughs> are a part of human history. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought we could go a little bit further than that by actually maybe trying to answer your question. And yeah. I think with a, with a reasonable, with some, you know, moderate, like, adjustment of fertility and mortality, then I think even, like, every 50 years, if there was, like, a, you know, 30%, 40% increase in in mortality rates, you know, that, you know, with a bunch of assumptions, blah, 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 say it wipes out like 20% of the population, 30%, uh, that could, that could lead to, you know, stable so, kind of population. Uh, so we're
0: talking about in the lifetime of any average individual, that there'll there be some been event where 25% yeah. of people in your group die.
2: Right. And now it's if it's a little bit more severe, then maybe say, you know, Every one hundred years, or something like that, or one hundred and fifty years, uh, basically, the closer a, po- a living population is to zero population growth, the, the longer they can go without having experienced a catastrophe. For uh, the model, yeah, for the for yeah. for, for the model, and and um, so if you wanted to put a big kind of open window on that, yeah, yeah. let's say you know fifty to to like two hundred years. Uh, so if not your living memory but maybe within your grandparents living memory and and of stories yeah. that 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 the 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 possibility of catastrophes and we modeled this also they're sort of unpredictable right? right so it's one thing if you know exactly when the meteor is coming to hit versus even if something only happens every 100 years but you all never yeah. really know Whether it's
0: like a flood it's or it's disease or Right. And yeah. because that's
2: on average, you could actually, you could have them like one right after the other right, right. and then none for a long time and yeah. and uh, and things like that. So, so yeah. So, you know, I think that these kinds of catastrophes have, have, have been a part of us for a long time now. But, you know, we're not terribly unique in, in many ways. Uh, and so certainly these types of things must hit lots of species. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, Malthus would probably agree with that. Uh, and so, well, one thing that maybe is kind of interesting about humans is that they might have a, just a really good ability to bounce back,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Yeah. So so even, uh, you know, Rob Walker and Marcus Hamilton, you know, have this kind of compiled everything we know about humans. Uh, uh, Indigenous populations in, in in the Americas, particularly in Brazil, like around the time of contact and after contact, and basically what they what they found, it's like over two hundred different populations over a century and a half or so. Um, I could be making that up, but I think it's true. Uh, basically, yeah, contact sucks, uh, and over up to on average like thirty to forty percent of a population was wiped out, mm-hmm. but within ten years. After contact, you basically were seeing positive population growth, mm-hmm. and within twenty years, it was like really fast population growth, mm-hmm. and that was you know over a broad range of time. So mm-hmm. this ability to bounce back. Uh, and by
0: bounce back, you mean have babies quickly.
2: Yes. Yeah, so have <laughs> babies quickly, and and right, even if mortality is still kind of on hot high, high on average, but yeah, to bounce back with 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 babies, and so that what looks like yeah something just coasting along on average mm-hmm. when you zoom in, you know, there's, you know, population growth might look a little bit like, you know, the, the edge of a saw, you know, increasing, mm. crash, increases, crash.
0: Hmm. So this, I mean, maybe this is because the way my brain works, but I'm thinking like, okay, there's some sort of apocalypse, some sort of catastrophe. And then afterwards, once things get a little better, then everyone's just like, crazy
2: having sex and having babies yeah or so just our territories open up right is, it's like
1: yeah
2: even like if some of the hunter-gatherers today like the ache right they were living in sort of pioneer conditions like yeah. a third of men in paraguay died during the chaco war uh and so here's like all this territory mm-hmm. and you've got the average ache woman was having eight kids mm-hmm. so fairly high fertility for a hunter-gatherer yeah. uh and there was also, you know, the Jesuits had planted mm-hmm. all the citrus fruits too. And so the ecology, mm-hmm. you know, was definitely favoring, favorable, these pioneering conditions and the ability to thrive under those conditions. So the one thing that kind of, that actually came out when, when, when Kevin Langergrabber, Grabber, uh, one of your colleagues, uh, you know, at my talk was like, I don't think you've got the chimpanzee fertility, right. Uh-huh. And I was like, you might be right but I th- I think I am right and it's your colleagues and your field site actually that, that that is part of the answer and and the, the thing that he was pointing at because it was showing that fertility rates on average in chimpanzees look very were fairly similar to humans mm. but which is like weird because we think of you know humans have higher fertility but it was like it's the potential fertility if chimpanzees mm-hmm. were to live throughout all of adulthood they could potentially have lots of babies, okay. so the average ba- number of babies over a female's life cycle, if she lived throughout all of that, could be you know six to seven babies. Mm-hmm. But what's really kind of interesting about, uh, and then his his knee jerk response, which any chimpanzee expert would say, hey, but everyone knows that your average timing between births for chimpanzees is like five to six years, whereas for humans under natural fertility populations, that's fairly long.
0: Yeah, right. Cause it's more like four or five. Yeah,
2: well, months, right? and that's even kind of long, is right? The, chim- okay. the 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 Kung, everyone's favorite hunter gatherer, uh, gods must be crazy, uh, four years. Yeah. But yeah. like you know, the Chimani, it's like two years. Other places, three years. Okay. Uh, and and what was interesting is that. In chimpanzees, you get it, you can get an inner birth interval that's like two to three years, but that's when the babies die, when they don't survive oh, wow. to, throughout infancy. Yeah. So when conditions are kind of good and infant survival is actually high, a the lot timing of between yeah. births is like five to six years. Wow. So that's a very different situation in yeah. chimpanzees right, right. and humans. Yeah. Um, so
0: yeah. I have to ask, like, so given all of this, like that it's fairly likely that during revolutionary history – you know, in the lifetime, you know, in a person's lifetime, or at least in like the intergenerational memory window, mm-hmm. like there were, you know, apocalypses happening. We'll just call them apocalypses, yeah. like 20 yeah. to 30% of people dying. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like, that would be an apocalypse yeah. today, right? That would like, be. Yeah. So do you think that as humans, we actually have adaptations that we have evolved systems for dealing with? apocalypses like either you know proactively like yeah. managing the risk and preparing or like when the apocalypse hits right like responding like right. do you think there yeah. is like a you know a whole field of evolutionary psychology and evolutionary anthropology that should be like a whole yeah. field of study about apocalypse adaptations <laughs>
2: uh yes and yes uh <laughs> i do and i think you know because one interpretation of like oh there hasn't been the apocalypse uh, in the last 100 years in a lot of these small-scale societies, it's not just that, oh, well, there's contact and things are all, all better now. Uh, it's that, all well, people might take things into account so that there's storage. So mm-hmm. if there is a bad famine in a particular year, you might not be able to completely control the weather, but you can control mm-hmm. how you respond to, you know, crop shortage. And yeah. uh, and it's, yeah, so, of course, all the, you know, the many ways that sociality uh you know helps deal with risk and different types of risk especially if, if you're sorting with folks who you know the disasters hit them at a different time right uh and you
0: can transfer risk a little bit right exactly yeah. exactly
2: uh as long as you know they're there for you when, when you need it right, and right. you can rely on them yeah yeah that they're gonna be there yeah, for you. exactly yeah. <laughs> which is the big problem with these days if there is an apocalypse and our cell phones don't work and yeah. you have no way of communicating with your, your people in your, in your, on your, your, on your, A team, your Z team, (laughs) uh, I'm not sure what, what what would go on there, but, um, yes. So So
0: I do think ways of managing risk. Yeah. I do
2: think there's lots of things that, uh, yeah. Uh, and there's ways you know, but I think it takes, there's lots, as soon as there's lots of people who are managing risks, you know, there's people who then can discount,
0: and and uh, so there's like a free rider problem. Yeah, free
2: rider problems, all those moral hazards and stuff, uh-huh. so and it's uh, like
0: other people are worrying about it, so I don't have to, kind of.
2: Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. certainly, well, certainly, I think you know many disasters. This is where I think, right, in a world with climate change uh, and more and more disasters, water scarcity. Uh, there's like, you know, mini zombie apocalypses every day. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, people should be giving you more money to have more zombie apocalypse meetings. Uh, (laughs) uh, Hell, thinking about zombies gets people to really think about, you know, these kinds of issues. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I think that that's good. Um, Although going back to, I guess, the certainly recovery and population growth isn't yeah. exactly the, the kinds of solutions that we're thinking about today, right? right? right. It's, Cause it's, we
0: want to, you know, make it so that 25 or 30% of people don't. Right. Die, right. Like we value the humans that are alive right now. Well,
2: this is why I didn't understand. All right. So I have not seen Avengers Endgame, but in, I haven't in, either. Okay. Well, but, but, but my in, kids are obsessed with it. Okay. But in studying for that film, <laughs> uh, I finally saw Infinity War. Yeah, I have seen it. Okay, well yeah. then, you, yeah. I did not understand Thanos, the logic of Thanos's plan, right? Like, yes, wipe out... Actually,
0: this totally is yes. relevant okay, to our good. conversation. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, wipe, was it? Is it half?
0: Half, yeah. Half. Yeah. So,
2: wipe out half. But first of all, you're, let alone the logic that you're wiping out half to save people, but you, you just killed half the world's population.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, but also, it, it, it ignored the whole, love, the whole notion of, uh, you know, trophic levels, right? Yeah, you wouldn't want to kill... Oh, levels, sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, like you got your grasses and what eats the grasses, you yeah. know, and then your herbivores so, and what eats the herbivores. Yeah. You'd think like... you, you
0: Things you, that are dependent on other things. Yeah.
2: important. Right. right? So, yeah. you know, you, you'd want to, you know, pick... For every carnivore you're picking off, you probably don't need to pick off as much, you know, plant species and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, the logic of like just completely eliminating uh half uh but let alone you know this whole other it also gets at these old themes about um what was it Mao Mao Tse Tung I'm just quoting all the winners today uh, <laughs> uh you know an extra pair of hands right huh versus an extra belly to feed so uh, you know mm-hmm. with each additional person is it kind of a net you benefit know, or benefit, kind of benefit or net yeah. cost, and and you know, does population pressure spawn innovation yeah. and get you out of that uh, the being on the margins yeah. where it's a dog eat dog world, uh, or you know, is there some ability to kind of spark? And and Thanos apparently he doesn't
0: believe
2: it. He that. doesn't believe it. He thinks you know every being takes in you know in materials and takes more. Yeah. But that's you know, that's a big assumption. It to, is a like, big
0: assumption, yeah. yeah.
2: But based on that assumption, which he didn't really test thoroughly with randomized experiments, yeah, well, you know, he said fifty percent of yeah. the world.
0: Well, that's a problem with all models, is the assumptions that go in that aren't tested, and Thanos is a great example of well, that. Exactly. <laughs> so
2: so maybe it's just all about his his hubris to to think that he knew the answers enough yeah. to risk just sacrificing half of the universe's life yeah and what and the other thing too is at least take that life and and feed it or like notice that they just disappeared into dust no one eats dust so all of that wasted food that alone would have gone to sustain the universe for like at least another millennia
0: Yes, this is how it behaviorally calls it. <laughs> yeah. like interprets Infinity Wars. It's yeah. like the energy, what yeah. happens
2: to the energy? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Did it go to create a new universe? Oh, maybe that's the next. Maybe this is what happens in Endgame. We'll never know because <laughs> I only have two friends and they both have seen, you know, Endgame. So now either I need new friends or <laughs> I just have to see it by myself alone.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I kind of interesting, actually, that these sorts of issues do, like, come up in, you know, fiction and in philosophy, mm-hmm. right, about, like, how do you manage, you know, human populations? Is something that has to happen actively? Is it something that can happen passively? And, um, right.
2: But yeah. don't you think that this, you know, going back a little bit to the unpredictable catastrophes, just the very fact that, you know, zombies are so fascinating, you know, the, representing that potential threat yeah. that could annihilate us at right. any at any moment. Right. So why else is that not there if that potentially wasn't part of the potential to, to happen, even under, like, modern conditions where presumably things are supposed to be yeah. better now than ever before? Yeah,
0: so why uh, do we have this sort of latent fear that maybe comes up in things like... Zombie apocalypse movies, or you know, Mm -hmm. the End Game, Mm -hmm. or like you know, like these these things are like part of our imagination. Like they they come up in our imagination. Maybe that's not just like oh, humans are being cute by inventing fictional things. Like maybe there's actually some sort of you know adaptation that is there where it's like oh, let's imagine a catastrophe. What would happen? How do we deal with it?
2: But we'll never know until we see Endgame. Maybe Endgame will also explain how Chris Evans played both Captain America and, and the Human Torch. Did you notice that?
0: <laughs> no, I didn't pay uh, enough attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so so what do you think is the most likely zombie apocalypse scenario, like, in general? Or apocalypse scenario for, um, you know, given all of what you know um, about, like, human populations and human history. And, and you can... Choose to take this in whatever yeah. direction you want, either serious or not. It's completely well, up to
2: you. my yeah. my 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 wife would probably this right here. You're, yeah. <laughs> I'm pointing at my cell phone. Uh, yeah, right? you're uh,
0: like, oh, what is, uh, is there anybody to uh, message uh, me? Uh, yeah. uh, anyone
2: more important? Want to want to podcast with me right now? Um, uh, oh damn it! Brian's already drinking beer in my lab.
0: Okay, well we can we can no, finish no. this up. Uh, 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 ap- apocalypse. As long
2: as they're not getting extra steps uh, <laughs> so yeah well I mean I, I do have joke but uh, uh, but about technology well yeah. particular cell phones and you know especially as a you know this is in fact we had this conversation like two years ago I was like did we good well that your your kids are older than mine yeah. and i was like all right so what what what's the latest oh, right. what age do you give them yeah. uh the cell phone and what age are they allowed yeah, to you know right, how many right, hours right. of screen time yeah. or what type of screen and it's this whole idea of trying to prevent you know them their ble- brain zombified. rotting uh yeah. and at the same time it, it's sometimes you'd want your kids to be zombies because then they're at least not you know screaming in your face or, or right, you know, yeah. jumping up and down on, 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 you know. Yeah. yeah so and you're like,
0: I'm trying to finish this paper about the apocalypse. Well, yeah, that's like, right. Come
2: on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop distracting me yeah. while I try to distract myself. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. But so I, I do think how we kind of are going to use, you know, the fact that there's sad studies that say just the fact that my cell phone is just sitting there yeah. Right, and then it's it, well, and it's on is worse. But you know, yeah. I'm probably not giving you my my full attention and your listeners, uh, my full attention. You're a little bit zombified uh, by that
0: device over there pulling on your brain. I know. Yeah.
2: I, well, and I do wonder now, especially because, uh, so even you know, in Bolivia, you know, where I've worked for a while, it's not it's not like cell phones now exist after there was. You know, old fashioned dial up phones and landlines. Right, lines. it just went straight. To yeah, that. it's like going yeah. straight to cell phones, and and now, you know, with the potential for, for internet, and and uh, it's just completely wild and and new. And the fact, I mean, every day I have another Chimane Facebook friend.
0: Really? Yeah, yeah,
2: and so, I mean, I'm getting up to date. On things in Shimane land. <laughs> it's like you a, don't even a, have to go to the I don't. I just, you know, do a Facebook <laughs> call. I just... Uh, yeah, or let me see your phone. Let me look at your call log. And I know everyone you've interacted with, you know, through cell phones.
0: Wow.
2: Uh, you know, that that would be, you know, that's yeah. really interesting and fascinating. Uh, and
0: Well, Facebook can just do all of anthropology now, right? We don't even... Pretty much. Need anthropology departments uh, and universities. Well, it's Facebook just, has all.
2: Of, they're <laughs> watching us right now, recording this conversation, live feeding it in <laughs> Romania somewhere. Uh, so yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. So that that's one form of, I guess, of a zombie apocalypse that yeah. that, that uh, maybe is a bit is a bit worrying. Uh, it is kind of nice to on on occasion when you're in circumstances where you there's no phone service or you don't have your phone. The battery's dead. You didn't bring it, uh, you know, and it's like, Ugh, at first, but then it's kind of nice Yeah. to, well, not thinking about the hundreds of emails or whatever that are yeah. waiting for you. But, uh, that's actually these days. One of the nicest things still about going back to the field is not having that not connection to technology. Now. Well, I know. And that's the thing. Uh, Although I still tell my family that, that, it's like no, I can't be reached. There's no, there's no cell phone towers anywhere. Actually, it is still true in a lot of places. Yeah. there. But but uh, yeah, it's becoming less true uh, every every day, every year. Uh, and now even my uh, you know the field team, you know, the, it's like oh yeah, you don't have cell phone reception except if you bring an antenna and you
0: climb up climb this, up a big tree, and the then, tree, then it's like yeah. now you'll
2: get some reception. And, and yeah. So yeah the world's becoming more and more connected, of course, and Yeah. So but, but So that
0: kind of means you need to be like giving up some of your brain's bandwidth all the time yeah. to like being tapped into the network, right?
2: Well one you know, I remember a, a student, like in all seriousness, asked, you know, can they use their cell phones for their exam? Like but like essentially making the argument he didn't use the word like exo-brain. But, like, the idea that, yeah. like, why do I need to know anything if I can just store knowledge on my phone? I can Google something. And so since I know that's there, I purposefully don't learn it. Wow. So you should let me you know, bring you my phone. You should
0: tell them, like, <laughs> this, you need to know this for the case of the zombie apocalypse. And in the zombie apocalypse, you're not yeah. going to be able to charge well, your Well, exactly. So Well, or you try to
2: create a <laughs> test where, like, you know what? Go ahead, use your phone. You're still probably gonna fail. So. <laughs> or you know, you actually have to know the material and think critically, and you know, in order to, yeah. to do well. Right. Uh, so yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Mike, thank you so much for sharing your brains with us <laughs> on for this episode of Zombified. It was really awesome thank having you. you as a yes. guest. I feel like I understand the apocalypse so much better. Oh, now.
2: thank you, thank you for. Coming to our, our, our neck of the woods, having to suffer through weather that's not triple digit.
0: Well, it was bizarre, though. It was like sunny and then raining and then sunny. And yeah. then it's so windy that like I got hit in the face with a wood chip. I'm like, what's going on here? I thought that I'm on the beach, but.
2: Shh, don't tell anyone. California is supposed to be pleasant all the time, all day, all <laughs> well, night.
0: Except for the apocalyptic fires well, that you guys yes, have. Well, yes,
2: right. So, again, you're right. Apocalypse is everywhere. Every, you know. Yeah. And it's funny because now, well, not funny, but you know, my 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 daughter being young enough to have seen fires pretty much every year, that's actually part of her normal. That's normal. So now the the apocalypse would be the absence of fire. Like like <laughs> that's the anomaly, and it's like, yeah, how how weird is that? Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that won't speed up her life history, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want menarchy at age six or seven. No. Um, now
0: you're just making like super nerdy jokes. Yeah,
2: those are definitely, sorry. but that's why you have editing, right? You've you've already cut right. me off like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> you're like, yeah. I
0: actually like do very minimal editing, or my sound person does very minimal editing. So, really? Yeah. Okay. So all of all of this right now still might be on the end of the, wow. the episode. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, all I hope. Right. All right. Well, well thank you. Maybe we should go get some. Yeah. Beer. Yeah. Home let's
2: beach. let's do that. Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
0: Zombified is a production of ASU and the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. Thank you to the Department of Psychology, the Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative, and the President's Office at ASU. Also, big thanks to the Lincoln Center for Applied Ethics. Thanks especially to the brains that help make this podcast, Tal Ram, who does our sound, Neil Smith, our illustrator, and Lemmy, the creator of our song, Psychological. Thanks also to the Z-Team at ASU. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are Zombified Pod, and we are Zombified Podcast on Facebook. Our website is zombified.org, and if you go to our website, you can find some awesome merch. We have t-shirts and stickers, and if you purchase those, all the proceeds will go to support us making more episodes You can also support us by becoming a patron on Patreon. Um, We are just zombified on Patreon. You can find us there. At the end of every episode, I share my brains. And today, what I want to share is some thoughts about how the current situation that we're in with the COVID-19 pandemic Um, relates a little bit to some of the content that Mike was talking about. So we recorded this episode before the pandemic hit, and so that's why we didn't talk about it at all. But I think that there are some really interesting issues that come up in this episode, especially about whether we have adaptations for dealing with apocalypses, dealing with situations where um, our world is severely impacted, where there can be high mortality. And in the context of sort of the broader apocalypses that Mike talks about, the Current situation with coronavirus is actually a relatively mild apocalypse. Because remember, he was talking about you know death rates of you know twenty to thirty percent, um, and what we're looking at with coronavirus is definitely below that. But at the same time, I think some of these ideas about you know how how are we adapted to actually. Deal with disasters can apply. So, you know, how do we help to um, share risk? How do we help each other in times of need? Uh, And also, you know, what role does our imagination play in helping us prepare for risks? And, you know, also when things like the current pandemic happen, how might our imagination and our ability to envision you know, potential futures help us to recover. So to me, there is some optimism in this very dark episode, which is that we might very well be adapted for the apocalypse. Thank you for listening to Zombified, your source for fresh brains
1: crazy but it seems so logical i can't deny that there is something supernatural with you makes me out the way